Health Service System uh, board meeting to order for the date of September 14, 2023. I'd like to have you join me in saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag for the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. <coughs> I'll now ask the board secretary to call the roll. Thank you, President Scott. Roll call, starting with President Scott. President. Commissioner, uh, Vice President Howes. Uh, Here. We, uh, <laughs> uh, Vice President Howe is on her way. Uh, Commissioner Sorry. Breslin <laughs> is here. Uh, Supervisor Dorsey. Present. Commissioner Follinsby. Present. And Commissioner Zavansky is absent. All right, yeah. thank you. With that, we have quorum. We have a quorum. We'll now go to item number three. General public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number three is general public comment. It's an opportunity for members of the public to comment on any matter within the board's jurisdiction that is not on the agenda, including requesting that a board place a matter on a future agenda item. And I'll be reading our full instructions for anyone joining us. Um, online. So the Health Service Board welcomes public participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for the general public to comment at the beginning of the meeting and an opportunity to comment on each item on the agenda. In-person public comment will be first and then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you are welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. <coughs> A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. The Health Service Board will hear up to 30 minutes of remote public comment total for each agenda item. Remote public comment for people who have received an accommodation due to a disability will not count toward the 30-minute limit. Members of the public attending the meeting via phone, call in by dialing 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter access code 2636-4878. Eight seven six three. Then press pound. You'll be prompted to enter the webinar password one one four five. Then press pound. Press star three to be added to the public comment queue, and you'll hear the prompt: "You have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you." When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. You will be muted when your time has expired. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the queue to speak. A raised hand icon will appear next to your name. When you're unmuted in the system, a request to unmute will appear on your screen. Please select unmute to speak. Once you hear the, myself say welcome caller, you can begin speaking. When your time has expired, you'll be muted. Please click on the raise hand icon to lower your hand. Members of the public are encouraged to state their name clearly, although they may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining. And when your three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute and I'll unmute the next caller. Thank you to SFGovTV and Media Services for sharing this meeting with the public. One moment as we check our public comment queue. And our moderator can let us know if there's anyone in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have one caller in the queue. No callers have entered public comment at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Okay, so there's another uh, piece on there about setting something on our next agenda by a board member. Item number three, right? 
Yes, it, it, uh, it, anyone, this is a general public comment on anything that's not currently on the agenda or where a member or a board member can request that something be put on a future board agenda, just okay. to be clear. All right. Yeah. So uh, for, the, for the November uh, board meeting, I would like uh, a discussion on the rates for 2024, in particular how the early retirees are calculated per the charter. I know we did that, but I think we need a deeper dive, and I'd like to get some of the early retirees here to try to understand that. I went over it myself with the charter, and I had a tough time understanding it. So let me be clear. It's early retiree rates and how they're set by including city charter provisions? Right. Okay. But it relates to the other rates, too. I'll ask the executive director to work with our actuary and see where we can insert that as an agenda item. Hello? Yeah. Speaker's off. Excuse me? I can't hear. Yeah, I'm not, I haven't said anything yet. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes, we'll, we'll be happy to um, review the materials that we have recently put together and presented at this meeting. And if there's additional questions, we'd be happy to address them. Those meetings are recorded. We did put them, uh, the education sessions, uh, Holly puts them on the board education uh, website as well. So they're readily available, um, both as a part of the um, board materials as, as well as a separate education because I know it can be quite confusing. So I would appreciate if there's any specific questions that, that you have that we can um, uh, integrate into a future presentation, we'll be happy to do so. Okay. So am I clear also, uh, Commissioner Breslin, you said there would be additional people coming to the meeting to write? Well, I, I haven't asked anybody. Yeah. It, it, the rates for the early retirees were pretty unaffordable. Okay. All right. So I would ask. All right. There's a, sp a spread the word. Come next week if you want to talk about early retiree rates. Next <laughs> month. Next uh, month. November. Excuse me, to the November meeting. All right. Thank you. Is there any other public comment? He hearing none, we'll now move on to item four. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number four, approval with possible modifications of the minutes of the meeting set forth below. This is an action item and will be presented by President Scott. Uh, we're now uh, dealing with the minutes of the last meeting for August 10th, 2023. I'm ready to entertain a motion. So moved. You're moving for their approval? Correct. Yeah. It's been properly moved for their approval. Is there a second? Second. Sure been properly moved and seconded that the minutes from the August 10th, 2023 meeting be approved as distributed. Is there any board comment? Edits? Hearing none, we will now have public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on WebEx for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to remote public comment. 
and our moderator will let us know if there are any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no callers, public comment is now closed. All right, with that, we're now ready to vote. We'll now have a roll call vote on the minutes of the prior meeting. A roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. And Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. Motion carries unanimously. Item five is the President's report. I have none for this month. And with that, we will not have public comment on my non-report. So we'll now move to item six. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number six, vote on whether to cancel the October 2023 Health Service Board regular meeting. This is an action item and will be presented by President Scott. As we know, historically, we have not had a meeting in October because that is the opening of open enrollment. And I think that our chief operating officer would mount a great revolt along with all the members of his team if we tried to burden them with another activity during that time. But it has historically been a, a meeting that we have canceled in deference to the staff and their commitment to get our members fully enrolled. And we'll be hearing a lot of that detail during the course of this meeting. So with that, I'm ready to entertain a motion to uh, cancel the October meeting. I move that we cancel the regular scheduled October meeting of the Health Service Board for October 2023. Is there's been properly moved and seconded. Is there any uh, discussion or comment from the board? Hearing none, we'll now take public comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to remote public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have no callers in the queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no callers, public comment is now closed. And with that, we're now ready to vote. Roll call. Roll call starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. And Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. Motion carries unanimously. We'll now move to item seven, the director's report. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number seven is the director's report. This is a discussion item and will be presented by SFHSS Executive Director Abby Ant. Thank you and good afternoon, commissioners. Um, uh, as you see in the director's report, the highlights that I'll call out are um, the ongoing uh, negotiations between United Healthcare and the UCSF uh, medical group uh, continue to have a conversation um, going back and forth. The um, Communications, though, within the medical group seem to have cl been cleared up a little, quite a bit. Um, we have had one um, person who called United about a week ago. Uh, we've had no calls into member services the last several weeks. Uh, so it, it's uh, clear that we're not having the disruption that we were experiencing early on, but we are monitoring this closely and continue to uh, push each party to come to a good conclusion on this negotiation. Um, 
moving on. Uh, uh, before you move on, yeah. in the report itself, uh, the next to the last uh, line in the section on the uh, United Healthcare UCSF health, work, health network situation, it says United Healthcare does have a contract in place with the University of San Francisco. Um, University of California, San Francisco, that's a typo on my part. Is, is that UCSF or UC hospital system? Um, I, I, I can't, I, they, I believe they have a contract in place with the other um, four UC medical centers. Um, and, the, and, the, and they have one with UCSF. Okay, so I would recommend that we correct that to reflect whatever that the current contract state is, if it's if the UC uh, hospital system and UCSF, then that's what should be there, rather than UHC. Okay. Yeah. okay. So noted. Just to edit. Um, so the COVID vaccine, I think most uh, people know there is a new uh, vaccine that is available, and um, I'll let Dr. Follinsby comment on that in a second if you'd like. Uh, and uh, the variant um, that is out there is um, uh, there's an increase in, in people becoming ill with COVID. Uh, there seems to be some protection in that the hospitalization and death rates are not uh, elevated. Um, and so we are back in a cautious kind of state. Do you want to add to that at all? Yeah, I just I would just reiterate what you said, which is quite accurate. Um, the the final recommendations are initially the recommendations were for people over. It was confusing to sort of be in line with WHO, and initially, but now the recommendations for everybody who <laughs> in the country to get it if they um, are up uh, in time for a vaccine, which is six months, either completed the initial um, series of two. Um, and or six months after their last, or more after their last booster. So if you've had your last booster three or four months ago, you should wait a couple of months um, until then. Um, I'm sus I suspect, even though this is approved as of a couple days ago, the medical centers probably don't have yet their supply. I went in yesterday to get my flu vaccine at Kaiser. Kaiser does have the 2023-2024 flu vaccine available, um, and that's useful. And so if you don't want to get everything at one time, but they did not have either the RSV or the um, COVID, new COVID vaccine available. Um, and so I'm sure that all the health plans will be sending out um, instructions about when the, it's actually in the pharmacy ready to be distributed to the vaccine centers. Um, the, the, there's a lot of confusion about RSV as well. Um, and I think that that will be upcoming, but the flu is available now, I think for most most people, if you want to sort of stagger any of this. Um, usually we recommend in the West Coast that people um, maybe hold off on their flu until the flu season reaches the West Coast or begins to reach, reach the West Coast, it usually follows the East Coast. But because of some travel plans, I decided to take it now. But, um, but that's the bottom line. So don't go to the vaccine center tomorrow anywhere to get your COVID vaccine or your RSV vaccine until you get further instructions from your health plan carrier. All right, thank thank you. you. On the health equity and diversity update, um, it is Childhood Obesity Month and Suicide Prevention Month, and I included uh, links in the report um, that Leticia Pagan has diligently prepared for us. Uh, if 
there, if you want to check out any of the resources, they're excellent uh, source of information. Um, I uh, continue to sit on the healthcare advisory boards, advisory health care affordability board advisory committee. They meet next week, so I don't have anything additional to report. The board meeting at its last meeting continued its discussion on the regulations for cost and market impact review and total health care cost. Um, very, very complicated discussions with a lot of strong opinions where this is how it's, it's, it's on a very fast track. So these um, challenging decisions will be made sooner than later. Um, and uh, the board will go on to uh, set those targets. Uh, they'll, they'll have a year of data collection and then they'll set targets and then there will be fines uh, for entities that don't meet the um, healthcare affordability targets. Um, our operations division continues to have some turnover. Um, we've had uh, several people leave the um, department uh, for um, promotive opportunities uh, within the city and, uh, um, and at least one person for a job outside of the city. Uh, we are, uh, have a great partnership with Human Resources, have a number of recruitments um, underway, and so things are, are, moving, are moving forward. Um, it's unfortunate that we had those resignations at this point in time, because as you know, October is quite busy, but um, Ray and Olga and team are um, rapidly um, bringing, bringing in people as quickly as they can and training them up to be um, available for calls, the increase in calls in October. Um, the, uh, I think that's really what all I need to highlight at this point. Um, are there any questions from the commission? Questions from the board members regarding any aspect of the director's report? I just have a comment about the uh, diabetes. And uh, <clears throat> a couple years ago, we had a more intense meeting on this. And at that time, um, CalPERS uh, approved all health plans implement a diabetes pre uh, prevention program. And I'm wondering if our, pro our health plans have that. I mean, this was a few years ago, and our health plan should have a, a preventive diabetes plan. Uh, <clears throat> it's always interesting that there's always care after you're sick, but uh, not much to prevent our sickness in this culture. I, I'll, I'll let the health plan speak for themselves, but it's my impression that we do. But also, Carrie Bashir is our manager of well-being. We have a direct contract for the diabetes prevention program that we do in partnership with the YMCA. Um, so I don't know if anyone wants to add to that. United Healthcare. Are there any health plan representatives that would <coughs> like to come forward to talk about diabetes prevention in, the, in your plan? Yes, would you please identify yourself? No. You are now, I think. Okay, good afternoon. I'm Denise Rodriguez with Kaiser Permanente. We had several years ago developed a partnership with City and County of San Francisco and OMADA. I need to get an update and see where that's at. At this time, I'm not 100% sure, so let me follow up with that and get back to you, get back to Executive Director Abby Yant on that. But I also want to say diabetes is a very big focus for our organization, as you would imagine. Prevention is key. And so we have a lot of programs within Kaiser Permanente to identify and treat our members either with diabetes or prediabetes, so lots of education and nutrition classes. And once somebody has high blood sugar, they go into our system and they're coded as such. So now their physician knows that this is a person who's on the 
cusp of becoming diabetic and works closely with them. So outside of any additional program, we do a lot within Kaiser Permanente to manage that. Right. I'm happy to hear that. I just wonder if the other plans have that, because I was speaking to a couple members who are pre-diabetic, and their, their uh, provider or doctor never referred them to any program. So I mean, that would, that you would think that would be the first thing they would do. This is outside of Kaiser. So, yeah, with, within Kaiser, we automatically put someone in that program <clears throat> once you're identified with a certain A1C. So then it becomes automatic. Yeah. Are there other health plans? Thank you. Is there any yeah. other questions of the Kaiser representative? If not, are there other health plan representatives that want to speak to this topic? Please come forward. Hi. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good morning. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, Tiffany Gill with Blue Shield. Yes. Um, we do actually have um, diabetes prevention programs within our Wellvolution programs. Um, not sure if you're familiar with those programs. They aren't something that somebody automatically gets put into. A member does have to go um, and select a program, but we do have several. It's kind of a, an application-based program where a member goes in and kind of goes through some criteria to choose which program they might um, they might want to join, and a number of the applications are some high acuity diabetes prevention uh, program applications. All right, thank you. Questions? Yeah. Thank you. Another health plan representative. <coughs> yes, they're all coming. Good. <laughs> Yes. Hi, my name is Lori Cumming with HealthNet, Director of Account Management and Sales. We um, have several diabetes prevention programs in place. We have a wellness platform, ShareCare, which offers um, opportunity for members to go online and self-manage if they've been identified, but also from the prevention standpoint, we have Amada as well, which is a program where um, if members are um, have are overweight or they have the potential for diabetes that they can go on and um, and go through that program as well. All right, thank you. So thank you. <clears throat> and one more. I'm yes. uh, Monica Nascencio. And I represent United Healthcare Medicare Advantage. And I just wanted to assure you, for your Medicare retirees, we also have a diabetes prevention program in place. We have a variety of programs offered through Optum. And we are you know, mining in the data, uh, looking for members that would be eligible for this type of program. And we are sending out regular you know, personalized communications to try to encourage people to join. Also, if members are in care management, we will also uh, you know, try to really um, encourage people to, to join our programs. All right. Great. Questions for United Healthcare? All right. Thank you. Well, what brought this up was I, a Congress the other night had a hearing on it. On the, um, I just happened to catch it on diabetes in this country and how uh, prevalent it is. So it's really a major problem in this country. And I think it has been for a while. But um, so it's a, something I, I'm happy to hear that all plans will be paying attention to. Because some of the people will not go on their own either unless their doctor says, you know, you should go over here. They're, they just don't think to do that sometimes, you know. And then, of course, there's a lot of people don't get tested even, don't even have their yearly physical. So, you know, but it's, it's such a big problem. It's kind of scary, really, you know. 
All right. Absolutely. Thank you very much you. for your contribution. President Scott, I didn't neglect to mention uh, when I gave the operations report that um, one of our member services staff has accepted a promotional opportunity within the department. That's good. So that's really good. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Raphael Calvin, Calvin Hudson has uh, been promoted to an 1813 senior benefit analyst. And uh, so I, I think that's just excellent. Uh, she's she's a star performer and she's uh, got, gained the promotion. So it's terrific. Well, I'm pleased to hear that, that there is a promotional opportunity. I'm glad that she qualified and accepted, and I wish her well as she continues to work within the system. Thank you. Any other comments or questions of the executive director on her report? If not, we're ready for public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGovTV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star 3 to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. All right, thank you. Uh, that being a discussion item, we'll now move to item eight. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number eight, SFHSS financial report as of June 30th, 2023. This is a discussion item and will be presented by SFHSS Chief Financial Officer Iftikhar Hussein. We welcome our chief financial officer. How are you this afternoon? I am doing really well, thank you. Good. Hope, hope all of you are doing well, too. Um, so just some brief updates. This is the year-end report. Um, and um, uh, in total, our trust balance is very stable at $105 million. Uh, We have a slight decrease uh, due to um, higher claims offset by the Southern Settlement. And our net claims for the access for our self-flex-funded uh, product, Access Plus, we are seeing higher claims. And so in total, we think net, the net claims are about 11.5 million higher than we expected. Um, we are seeing, uh, but the medical claims are higher, but the dental claims are running uh, lower than we expected. Uh, the for pharmacy rebates, good news, we um, uh, received 18.9 million this year, which is, 48% higher than last year than we received. And, 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 and the reason for the change uh, is mainly beginning in the 2022 plan year, we went to a model where we get 100% of the rebates passed, on, passed back to us, uh, as opposed to 80% before then. So that's one of the reasons why we're seeing higher rebates in pharmacy. Um, and then uh, other good news, interest income as rates have gone up, uh, we... Um, had three times, 3.3 million interest income this year versus uh, only a million last year. Uh, on our trust fund, we actually it actually grew by about half a million. And the reason is that as we do the strategic plan, we're kind of reassessing and validating our initiatives and aligning, aligning them with the new strategic plan. Um, so our spending and our use of those fund in uh, this fiscal year was um, lower than we had expected. Uh, for the general fund, we are ahead of plan. Um, yeah, mainly due to vacancies. The other reasons are the uh, services from other departments we had. The landlord gave us a one-month rent holiday. 
uh, and then some other delays, which account for most of the variance. But in total, we're, we're ahead of plan. We contributed to the city um, revenue problems. Um, we helped them by having a surplus in the general fund. All right, and by helping the city with our surplus, could you care quantify how many millions of dollars that is? We um, are actually like a million. Let me get the exact number to you. Just as a rough estimate. Yeah. So we're a million five ahead. A million Don't five. Fall. Thank you. <laughs> I just want that in the public record, along with the uh, savings that we had from the uh, health plan renewals. I think we're in excess of something like $8 million total, That's right. if I recall correctly, in that neighborhood. Yeah, so, we, so it's a 23-year, we, we had really good rates in 23, right? right. All right. Uh, how is the audit proceeding? So the audit is going well. So there's no uh, issues or observations so far. The only uh, potential issue I think that the auditors are looking into is the impact of the school district, where there is, um, um, you know, basically system issues with the, with the school's conversion to the SAP system. Uh, and that has downstream impact on the benefits. Um, so the auditors are trying to gauge the impact on, on um, our trust. We think that the impact actually is quite low uh, because we maintain a redundant system. Uh, and so the only risk is are the corrections and the errors are being brought to us on a timely basis or not. And that's what they're trying to gauge, the magnitude of that impact. All right. Thank you. Are there other questions on the financial report? Hearing none, we'll now take public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three now to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now move to item nine. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item nine, health service system announcement of the request for a proposal for Medicare plans for 2025 plan year. This is a discussion item and will be presented by SFHSS. I want to emphasize what this is. We are announcing and will be discussing today doing an RFP for the Medicare plans for plan year 2025. It's not for next year. Okay, it's not 2024, it's 2025. And with that, we'll call upon our contracts administration manager, Michael. Thank you, President Scott. Thank you, Commissioners. Michael Visconti, Contracts Administration Manager for the San Francisco Health Service System. And yes, as mentioned by President Scott, uh, I am going to be announcing our RFP for our Medicare plans for, yes, plan year 2025. 
I'll walk through very quickly our assessment of our other benefit plans. We'll go into a brief history of our current SFHSS Medicare plans. From there, uh, I will discuss uh, how we will be proceeding with this RFP. That will include the drivers underlining it and the schedule that we will see over the next few months into next year. And that will be followed by a pause for board discussion. With that, as mentioned in the August meeting, we do this annual assessment. This is our duty to our members, to the city, uh, and uh, to our department. We have assessed our benefit plans. I have a summary here on this slide, beginning with dental. Uh, we have determined that due to the current three-year rate guarantee that was successfully negotiated by our team and our actuaries at Aon, that SFHSS will reconsider a dental RFP next year during the same period. For the vision plan, again, due to the five-year premium guarantee, again, successfully negotiated by our team and our actuaries, we will consider the vision RFP again next year. And for our non-Medicare health plans, we will take into consideration the results of the 2025 renewal process that will begin in December. We will look at the network pharmacy changes, and we will look at plan year 2023 clinical performance and health equity met metrics again, to be considered during this time period next year. Should be important to note that 2025 will be the first year after the RFP rate lock for the PPO plan that was a result of our 2020 RFP. Again, for our life, long-term disability, flexible spending accounts, voluntary benefits administration, we will again evaluate this as part of next year's considerations. So with that, I'll get into our medical plans, a brief history. Again, for United Healthcare MAPD plan, this has been available to our members since 2016. There are about 17,000 covered lives. For our Kaiser Permanente Senior Advantage HMO plan, this is again available to all Medicare eligible members, most California locations, and has been available since before 1999. Uh, it also includes Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii locations since 2018. And again, uh, just underneath the Medicare uh, population for uh, United Health, but 14,000 covered lives. Going into a brief recent history of these plans, not going all the way back to when we started having Medicare Advantage plans in the 80s, um, the UHC self-insured city plan with uh, prescription drug plan, or PDP, uh, changed to a fully insured MAPD, or Medicare Advantage prescription drug plan, effective January 1, 2016. Uh, all existing plan members were migrated to the fully insured MAPD plan, and uh, that would be changed only if they elected otherwise during open enrollment. Uh, this was presented in about May of 2016, how this process went before this board. We showed that it was successful. There were very few errors in the process, and we had the administration handled. So for Blue Shield, for their existing 65-plus MAPD, that was discontinued at the end of 2016. Uh, for those members, again, they were shifted over, again, unless they made an alternate determination during the open enrollment process and chose the Kaiser Senior Advantage Plan. Uh, one minor note, again, with that process, that's when we began that split family discussion. Again, as we all know and we've presented earlier, split families was discontinued as of December 31st of last year. For the official announcement, we will be issuing a formal request for proposals for our HMO and PPO Medicare plans for the 2025 plan year. 
We will present a summary of this process as well as the proposed scope before the board meeting in November 9th. In accordance with the board selection policy, SFHSS will present a memorandum and action item for a communications blackout at that time, and that will begin the process for the RFP. I'll go into the exact timeline of it with a later slide, but I want to go and underline the rationales that were taken into consideration by SFHSS leadership as well as our actuaries in releasing this RFP for Medicare plans. We want to address the improvements in network stability and coverage. We want to assure that for all of our members going forward into the future. We want to maintain a passive PPO offering for our members. Again, we've had a nationwide passive PPO offering. For those of you unfamiliar with it, the simplest way to explain that is that you're going to have the same reimbursement for in-network versus out-of-network. Again, that's the least complicated option for our members and for us. Uh, we want to also evaluate multiple regional HMO plan options for our members. Right now, we have one regional plan option. That's the Kaiser Senior Advantage. We want to ensure that we have, in line with our strategic plan, affordable and predictable rates year over year into the future. So we will be looking at multiple year rate caps, locks, guarantees. Again, that will be presented in our November 9th meeting. We also want to ensure that we continue to have great transparency into our rating methodologies. We want to establish that we, we've already noted that we have great interest from leading Medicare plans to respond to this RFP. For many of you, you were here when we did our RFI in late 2021, and I have a slide following this where we can show that some of the leading carriers have already either expressed interest or reached out to us independently, so we expect this to be a successful RFP with prospective respondents. Finally, um, we will want to evaluate how carriers have approached the Inflation Reduction Act and how that affects our Medicare plans. And again, as mentioned, these are competitive RFPs. We want to evaluate these plans head to head in the face of what we've seen recently, a lot of market consolidation. And again, we have already assessed that we have the available internal resources, both SFHSS staff, leadership, and our actuaries to conduct this RFP at this time. As mentioned on the last slide, here we have the established interest from largest Medicare carriers. Many of these, as you'll see in the footnotes, either responded to our RFI or responded to our RFA stating that if we did an RFP, that they would respond. So again, we're looking at interest from United Healthcare, Humana, various Blue Cross plans and Blue Shield plans, um, Kaiser Permanente, uh, and Cigna. As mentioned earlier, this is going to be our draft calendar. Again, we will present this in much more detail at the November 9th meeting, but at a high level, it will begin in November. It will end in May to June. It is important to notice that the reason why this ends in May to June, as opposed to those of you who were present for our RFP for non-Medicare plans, is that we have to wait for the final rules from CMS as to the financials for those plans before we make a final determination. However, that doesn't mean that we have to wait and backload the entire process. We can do this in two different lines, one with the non-financial elements and then culminating with the financial elements that allows us not to put too much of a burden on our staff or on the evaluation panel subject matter experts that we will be uh, retaining for this process. With that, I open it up to board discussion for our announcement of a Medicare RFP plan. And before I call on members of the board, 
can you give me just a thumbnail description of how the RFP versus the RFI process are different? Great question, yes. And this was on one of my slides from the, uh, from the last meeting. But again, very straightforward. The RFP is a formal process. It will result in contracts. The RFI process is exploratory. It does give us a little bit more bandwidth. As we know from that RFI process, we were able to have members of the board present for that. But again, as required by our board governance, the board's role will be looking at our recommendation and approving us going out to contracts, and that will happen in about May or June of next year. So that's how we divide up this process. And so if we as board members want to weigh in on uh, the RFP process, the November meeting is the time to get all of our concerns on the table. That is correct, President Scott. Thank you. I, I just wanted to uh, have that reconfirmed and I'm hoping my board colleagues are listening <clears throat> that next meeting is the time for us to get our concerns on the table and ask that they be included in either the evaluation or questions or what have you regarding the RFP all right that's correct are there questions from board members you, excuse me you mentioned an RFP for uh, non-medicare when would that be well, again, we will consider that based on the factors that I outlined during this normal annual process. So that'll begin, as we mentioned, we'll start that in June earlier going forward, and it'll culminate again with the September meeting this time next year. Uh, Commissioner Fallon's me. Yes. Um, you know, I think that the health services now does a more sophisticated job looking at our own data on demographics, uh, health status, et cetera, with our plan members. So I'm wondering if you expect that the, our, our enhanced um, database will change the RFP process or enhance it, what the, how that will be rolled into um, the information available to uh, you know, particular people or plans particularly interested in applying. I'm glad you brought that up. It gives me a moment to call out one of the critical members of our team for doing any of these RFPs, especially this one, will be Rin Coleridge and the Enterprise Systems and Analytics team. Uh, we will be leveraging, as we did with the prior RFPs, our considerable uh, number of, you know, our, not just what you see in our demographics report, but a lot of the data about our actual members. Because when we're doing these RFPs, we want all prospective respondents to have the greatest insight into our member needs so they can predict what the best response would be. So again, that's gonna be critical to how we do that, ensuring that we present proposals to our evaluation panel that really address our members. Are there other questions from the board regarding this topic? Again, it's an RFP at the next meeting, scope, concerns, issues, requests, please bring them forward. All right? Yes, sir. At this point, we will have public discussion on this topic. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching on the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment, and no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment. Our moderator will let us know if there is any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are no callers in the public comment queue at this time. 
Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you, uh, Michael and your team and the hard work that you're going to be doing on our behalf over the next month as you prepare for the presentation in November when we authorize you to go forward uh, with this process. And with that, we will move to our next item. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 10, open enrollment health fairs and flu clinics plan for 2023 for the plan year of 2024. This is a discussion item and will be presented by SFHSS Chief Operating Officer Ray Guillen and well-being SFHSS Wellbeing Manager Carrie Bashirs. And I've been wondering what our Chief Operating Officer has been doing for the last three months. I, I, I thought he'd gone on vacation, uh, was just sort of lounging in the Caribbean or whatever. But lo and behold, we're back again at open enrollment. We are. All right. So, <laughs> so welcome. Well, thank you, President Scott and Commissioners. Uh, Ray Guillen, Chief Operating Officer for the Health Service System. And later in this presentation, I'll be joined by Carrie Bashirs, our Will and Bean Manager. And together, we will be reviewing the open enrollment plan for the 2024 plan year. So this year, open enrollment will run from Monday, October the 2nd through Friday, October the 27th, so that four-week period. And during this presentation, I'll be running through the open enrollment timeline. We'll discuss what's new for 2024. We'll discuss the system updates that were necessary for um, all these plan changes. We'll walk you through the open enrollment communication plan for our members. We'll look at the webinars that will be offered to the members, and then we'll review um, this year's health fair and flu clinic calendar. So as this board knows, planning for open enrollment starts months before the October um, open enrollment period. As you see, you just discussed um, a action that will take pl uh, place for plan year 2025. And so open enrollment starts early, and even prior to January 1st, we're reviewing the lessons learned from the most current open enrollment period and incorporating them into the open enrollment plan for next plan year by our project manager, Brian Rodriguez. Brian is a master at helping us keeping, uh, to keep on schedule. Um, this year's task list included over 275 separate assignments and included a timeline that spanned nine pages. So what you see on the screen before you is just a very simplified version of that open enrollment timeline. By this time, uh, by the time the board approves the rates and benefits in June, our contracts team, led by Michael Visconti, and our Aon consulting team have already spent <coughs> countless hours on the renewals for the next plan year. Also, by that time, our communications team, led by Jessica Shee and Ryan Klaus, have already completed the layout and design of the open enrollment communications that I'll walk you through later. We'll talk about the activities for the third and fourth quarter activities in the next um, upcoming slides. As this board knows, outside um, significant um, premium cost increases that impacted some of our plans for 2024. There are actually very few plan changes for next year. The changes that we will be highlighting in our open enrollment communications include introduction of the mommy pregnancy and postpartum care program to Blue Shield members. 
We'll also discuss the implementation of the RX90 program for Blue Shield members that provides them the convenience of getting a 90-day supply of maintenance medications at certain walk-in pharmacies. Previously, to get a 90-day supply of maintenance medications, members would have to do that through mail order. So this just provides that same benefit at certain walk-in pharmacies. We'll also discuss the expansion of the Delta, Delta Dental Smileway program um, that allows for additional cleanings for members with 14 different medical conditions. And as usual, we'll update the members on the updated plan limits for the FSA plans. While there will be minimal plan changes for 2024, that does not mean that there weren't plenty of system updates that Rin Coleridge and the rest of the enterprise system and analytics team needed to make. The first significant change was the creation of a whole new set of plans for our Kaiser members that reside in Southern California. Currently, our systems combine both the members in the Southern California and Northern California um, plans into a single file that we then submit to Kaiser, who then on their side splits them apart based upon the member's zip code. However, this has led, led to significant errors, discrepancies um, that um, we're hoping to uh, solve by creation of this new um, benefit plan for our Southern California Kaiser members. Second, can, we can I, I'm sorry, can I ask a question about that? Sure. So does that, because when I was a Kaiser doc, this was a big issue for members who want to maintain their Northern California Kaiser membership, but it resided primarily in Southern California, and they were not allowed to do that. So does this mean that if someone votes in, say, Palm Springs, but maintains a residence in San Francisco, they can still maintain their Northern California membership without having to sort of drop their primary care and all that and establish new care team in Southern California? Is that what this achieves or is it just the health plan? So based upon a member's residence, they are enrolled in either the Southern California or Northern California Kaiser region. And so what this is solving is that just the transmission of those combined files, which leads to these errors. And so based upon a member's residence, they would be funneled into the appropriate Kaiser region. Okay, because that's the way it was before. I mean, if they found out that you were in outside your region, then you were sent to another um, Kaiser system. Um, and so the addition of Oregon and Washington and Hawaii for our Medicare Kaiser members was, was important um, for that reason. So this doesn't really change that. This kind of rechannels re them. It just makes finding those people and transmitting more, more easily. Is that it? That is correct. Okay. Excuse me, uh, does Kaiser have a comment on that? Uh, we have a Kaiser representative coming to the podium to comment further on this point. Hi, good afternoon. Debbie McConaughey with Kaiser Permanente. Um, I just wanted to address what you were talking about. Um, so what Ray um, has been stating here, um, there's been an issue with um, the file on SFHSS where they haven't had the ability to add the Southern California contract um, ID number um, to identify those members correctly in the system. And so they're doing a fix now where they're adding the Southern California ID um, record number to help um, with that administration in terms of 
putting those members directly into the Southern California contract. We've had sort of a workaround on the back end, and I think, Dr. Follinsby, what you were talking about was the interregional um, members where they would have, um, they would be, you know, in the north, but um, have a no Northern California contract, but um, wanted to be seen in Southern California, maybe they have a residence there. Um, and so we would put them into this interregional um, situation where they could still be seen in Southern California, but they weren't necessarily in the Southern California contract. So we've been doing a workaround, um, but now we're fixing the file to make sure that they're appropriately placed into Northern California contract or Southern California contract. Okay, I think I, thank you very much. I think that helps. Yeah. I mean, I think that operationally for our members, the issue is if, if, if a member is in another Kaiser region and needs care, for example, a lab test, um, it still requires the, some way for the Northern California provider to get that order um, into the Southern California or Oregon or Washington or Hawaii system, and this isn't going to improve that at all. Is that correct? I mean, because that is a real problem, um, I can tell you. Personally. Right. So, so if um, depending on where y you live and where you would like to, or technically where you should have the contract, right. Right. Um, we still have visiting member um, rights, if you will. And so, if you're in Northern California on the Northern California contract, and you're um, in Southern California and you need to be seen there, all you have to do is call the travel line, and they'll set you up at the Southern California. Um, medical record number, and then you can be seen there. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that already works perfectly well. Yeah, it's just again, it's you know a, a little more refined than that. But that problem, that was not a problem. Um, you know, for, for in my own case, for example, I have two Kaiser numbers in Northern California and Southern California, and I've had no problem accessing care as long as I'm willing to be seen for that. But if it's just a matter of getting a blood test that was due. In Northern California, that's a problem. And this, is, this new contract isn't going to help that, as, as my understand. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So we also tasked ESA with helping to create a retiree rate calculator to help current and future retirees understand what their out-of-pocket costs will be for retiree health premiums. And this is, as you know, no easy task given the complexity of Proposition B. ESA then needed to modify our systems to collect, hold, and transmit race and ethnicity data for our Medicare members to comply with the new CMS mandate. One of the projects we are most excited about um, for this year is a new system to help calculate premium rates. Given that SFHSS administers benefits for four different employer groups, with over 75 union contracts and all the retirees, it is given that there would be some high level complexity that goes along with our system. However, it'll probably come to a surprise to most to understand that to manage this complexity, we have over 4,000 rates that we need to calculate. But what is probably even more shocking is that prior to this year, most of these rates were calculated by hand by RIN and with the help of finance's principal administrative analyst, Yuri Gorgoski. 
Um, this year, SFHSS brought in a consultant to help automate the rate setting process using a SQL Server relational database program that can be leveraged every year to help set these rates going forward. However, this transaction um, was a monumental task for not only our ESA team, but for our finance staff and our contracts team. ESA has also been working in conjunction with human resources in the controller's office to provide employees with the option of utilizing a preferred name that is different than their legal name. For some members of our populations, including those in our transgender community, an alternate name is an essential part of their identity. So we're happy that this is moving forward. Given the complexity involved in our program offerings, our rules, and our premiums, communications with our members on what is important to them is no easy task. And so next I'll be going through our communication plan with having to notify over 77,000 families of their open enrollment options, a one-size-fits-all approach does not work. I handed Jessica Shi, our communications director, a couple goals this year. One, simplify the message that members need to understand their open enrollment um, capabilities. And then two, reduce the amount of paper used uh, to communicate that message. And Jessica did respond. First, in past years, we would send open enrollment letters um, to members with several different rate tables and trust that they would figure out which apply to them. This year, we are sending mem members one of 87 different letters that only have the specific rates that apply to them. And so this has greatly reduced the complexity for our members. It did place a whole nother level of complexity on staff, including Jessica and Rin. Um, second, uh, we are not sending open enrollment booklets to active members this year. Instead, we will be including a link to a digital guide in their open enrollment mailings. This is saving 2.4 tons of paper and saving $19,500 in printing costs. In addition, there would be also savings in the postage that we would need to um, utilize to send these pa packages. So here are our covers from the 2024 Plan Year Benefits Guys. As you see, all the communications for this year have a new look and feel from previous years. Our graphic designer, Ryan Klaus, has used an iconography design based. Um, and we do apologize on the footnote of this slide. Um, there's some language that wasn't clear. What we were attempting to communicate is that Prior to this year, we used to send out four separate, um, three, sorry, we used to send out three separate guides for the city and county of San Francisco employees, um, the municipal executive association employees, and the superior court employees. So for 2024, we're com combined all three of those groups into one single guide. So for 2024, we will only have four separate guides um, that will be utilized. And then we did this because one of the pieces of feedback that we continued to receive from employees is they didn't know which guide specifically applied to them. And so by combining the information into one guide, it will be easier for them to find the information that pertains to them. And a lot of the information provided in those guides is redundant anyway. Excellent. 
So this is just a copy of the retiree booklet cover in the self-service instructions. We greatly reduced the number of steps that retirees need to go through to actually submit their open enrollment elections. And so we're hoping that that reduces the, the need for them to call and ask for assistance. And these are what the open enrollment letters look like. Um, these letters inform members of a few things. One, the open enrollment dates. Two, uh, what they need to do if they want to change their current elections. It does list what current plans are enrolled in and what dependents are covering. And again, provides them what their specific costs will be for the upcoming year. For early retirees, we're also making sure that we point out the significant increases will apply to some of them. Here's just a uh, sample of what this year's open enrollment envelopes will look like, again, using that iconography design. And in previous year, as in previous years, we'll be sending out weekly OE emails starting with the last week of September to make sure that our members are notified of um, their open enrollment responsibilities. As always, we will have a dedicated open enrollment website that will be going online soon. And the website will have a special open enrollment events calendar. So this will be just a calendar with only open enrollment related events. Um, so this will be separate from the general um, uh, HSS calendar, which includes other things related to the wellness program. And this is just a listing of the various open enrollment webinars that are being offered this year. Um, as you see, there will be a number of them, um, both for both active and employees, uh, active and retirees, and then some that are specific to either the active or the retiree population. And with that, I will now turn it over to Carrie Bashirs, our well-being manager, who will review the health fair and flu clinic plans with you. All right. Thank you very much, Ray, our Chief Financial Officer, Gillian. Welcome. Please uh, say your full name and, and your title again, please. Sure. Good afternoon. Carrie Bashirs, well-being manager with HSS. Before I dive into flu, I just wanted to uh, provide one comment in regards to the question that came up around the diabetes prevention program, just to add what Abby was speaking to. So we have been under um, working with the YMCA for a number of years where we do provide a diabetes prevention program. We used to offer that at various worksite locations, and in the pandemic, we did turn that virtual. Um, we've had a lot of success and has since then opened up to offer both virtual and in-person. Um, we're currently working with Michael and his team. We have an open RFP that we hope to be closing in the next month or so, uh, where we'll be looking at our vendors and reassessing and then continuing on that program. So just a quick update on where we're at with that. So this is beyond the health plan. This Correct. is This is our own internal program that we're offering to employers yeah. and employee and our members. Correct, absolutely. Right. So it's you. family members, domestic partners, spouses as well, retirees, yep. Yeah. Thank you for that. So for flu this year, once again, we're partnering with Kaiser. Kaiser has been um, pulling in their third-party vendor, which is Albertsons and Safeway, to help us to facilitate our clinics. We're going to be running clinics starting September 27th and going through November 7th, so just shorter period than last year. Last year, we had a few kind of late, late folks in the game adding that were interested in providing a clinic at their location. 
our eligibility remains the same. So it's for employees, it's for retirees, and spouses and domestic partners of our retiree populations are eligible at our locations that we will be offering. Um, in addition to our flus, we've done uh, our health fairs again. So we started, started bringing those back last year. We'll continue to pair some of our clinics with our benefits fairs as well. We have 10 total that we're offering this year. Um, we have a new site. It's a site we've done in the past, which is at the county fair building. So that's a new benefit fair that we'll be adding. Can you pause for a moment? Can we bring the uh, slides in? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, sync with your comments. There we go. Thank All you. Right. This is where I think you are, right? Yes, correct. Okay, thank you. And um, we also will be offering 24 clinics. So that's one less than last year. But each year we go into our flu clinics, we look at where the volume of our vaccines are, and we do have some required minimums we do need to meet for our vendor. So we assess those. Um, we're actually reducing by two, but we're adding back one that we did two years ago. Um, so we will remain at 24 clinics at 23 locations. The, we always do two clinics at our uh, DEM location to serve that population for their 24-hour business needs. We have open and closed or open and restricted locations. So just as a reminder, our open locations are those that access is easy to for anybody. So any of our members, you don't necessarily need a badge to get in. So like, for example, City Hall, uh, 49 Van Ness, our, our location are a few of those where you don't need to have a, a specific badge access. And then restricted locations would be those who employees have direct access to gain into that facility. Um, I already mentioned what we have coming up new. So Rec and Park over at County Fair is a new benefit fair. We did offer a flu clinic, so we'll continue to offer that this, this current year. We are adding back Sanol, so that was a clinic we dropped last year due to numbers, and we're adding it back with extended efforts to try to improve our vaccination rates. And then something that's also very new this year is in the past, because Kaiser used to facilitate our clinics, anybody who was a Kaiser member would automatically get their information sent and, and placed in their medical record. That will not be happening this year. So that's a big message for us. We're really trying to hone in that every member who goes through will need to take a picture or image of their form and then work with their medical provider or their online tools to upload their vaccination online. Um, last, um, you can go ahead and next slide. So this is a, a number of our locations that we're going to be offering. This does include our benefit fairs. You can go ahead to the next slide. Um, the one thing that I will note is we don't typically offer flu vaccines at the airport. They have their own clinic where they do offer vaccines for their employees. But we are offering two benefit fairs at that location. Um, additionally, I'll just uh, wrap up that we did have a request to get COVID boosters at our locations. We actually did reach out to all four of our health plans. Um, and unfortunately, as I know, Dr. Follinsby, you referred earlier, there's some challenges with that. So we were unable to get the COVID booster in our flu vaccines this year. Go to the next slide. <coughs> questions? Are there questions? Yeah, just one Dr. question. Follins. Thank you to both of you for this is really fantastic to see not only the evolution of uh, changes in, in terms of service on both open enrollment and then the, the variety of issues. Um, I think that there will be a lot of, I suspect there will be a, lot, a fair number of questions people who show up at the flu clinic about other vaccines. Um, and unlike, you know, a certain governor running for a certain, pres a certain political office, 
uh, from a certain state where hurricanes are prevalent who says don't get vaccinated at all, we encourage that. And so I'm hoping that, that you will also provide, be able to provide a fact sheet about RSV and about, um, about COVID vaccinations so that members can get, maybe in a very simple way, can get some help trying to negotiate that and, and then encourage to contact the providers about those as well. And that's a good opportunity to sort of, you know, reinforce the message. Yes, that's that's actually really good. We hadn't considered RSV, so we or RSV, sorry. So we can include that. Um, we do plan on having COVID. <coughs> Additionally, what I would add is that Dr. Fiona Wilson, who is with the Department of HR, will be at a few of our locations uh, as presence, talking about the COVID um, booster as well to our members. So that's going to be a nice add as well from an educational standpoint. So we'll make sure that we have both of those. Just to clarify, I have no stock in RSV in a company that makes RSV vaccine at all. But if anyone is, has access to media, um, they have been advertising RSV for, month, for weeks and weeks, knowing that it's not available at all. And so I'm, I suspect there's a fair amount of, I get a lot of questions personally from friends and neighbors about this. I'm assuming there's a lot of, you know, still a lot of issues out there because of the rather intense um, uh, advertising for this novel vaccine for adults. Great point. Other questions from board members on open enrollment, flu clinics, open enrollment uh, sites, and the work that has been prepared to date for the, all of this. Um, I, I have no questions, but I do, do want to thank um, you, Carrie and Ray, for, for your hard work putting this together. Uh, it sounds very simple, like, you know, you, all of these things will be done, but I know the preparation and all the planning that went into it. So thank you for the ways that you look out for our members. I had one other question. Yes. I, I know that we've been, over the years, thing. we've been targeting, trying to get um, open enrollment completed online. And so can you, do you have a target for where you're getting better? It's getting, our members are getting better and better at this issue, but do you have a target uh, for where you hope this year, uh, what percent does it involve so much less paperwork for HSS staff um, in terms of entry? We don't have a specific target for this year. Again, we are um, trying to make the system easier for members to understand and take less steps. By far, you know, um, the vast majority of active employees do their open enrollment changes online. We are trying to increase the number of retirees. And so we have taken those steps to reduce um, uh, um, the steps that retirees need to go through to make those changes. And so we're going to evaluate how those the results of those changes and incorporate those into the, the plan for next year. One of the things we'll be also looking at is um, whether or not, you know, the digital guides uh, were uh, successful or not and see how many requests we get for paper guides to see whether or not this might be something that we want to also transition retirees to in the upcoming 2025 plan year open enrollment. I think we'll probably be interested in, in hearing the data on that um, for all four employer groups and retirees, early retirees and, um, and um, active uh, employees. Well, Ray, on behalf of the board, for those that you've named in your report and for the staff members that are not named that have brought you to this point, we wanna thank you for your diligence and work and leadership of this effort. So thank you. Are there any other questions or comments from the board? Hearing none, we'll now take public comment.
Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star 3 to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the media on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. Good afternoon, uh, Director Yant, Commissioners. Dennis Kruger, retired and active firefighters and spouses. Uh, I like what they're doing, consolidating everything into shorter, easier to understand uh, booklets. I just have one question regarding consolidating it down to what members individually have. Will the options for what they have to can choose vision, dental, another uh, Medicare plan. Will those be included in these simple consolidated forms or will people have to inquire beyond their booklet? All right. Uh, Chief Operating Officer Gillian. So uh, as I sp um, spoke to earlier, so the open enrollment packet that the member gets will currently list what their current um, benefit elections are and their, who their cur currently covered dependents are, as well as what the premium cost will be for um, the available plans um, that are available to them. In addition, there is an open enrollment booklet in the retiree guide. It's a 16-page booklet that goes through the options that retired members have um, for making their benefit elections for the upcoming plan year. Um, active employees will have that same uh, or a similar version of that 16-page open enrollment booklet um, that is available to them, but it will be online um, and available through a link or a QR code. Um, that will take them directly to um, that place. And this will be for not only their medical plan, but vision, dental, what have you, all of the benefits in one Correct. place. Um, the open enrollment booklet for retirees does include um, all options that are available to them, so medical, dental, vision. And then for active employees, again, their benefit guide will include <coughs> all available plans to that particular employer group. As this board knows, that certain employers offer the full suite of benefits, and for other employers, we either offer just medical or dental, and so their guides will be um, um, appropriate to that particular member. All right, thank you. Are there other questions uh, from in the room? Okay, uh, if you would, Secretary. Yes, thank you. We'll move to our remote public comment and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have two callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Again, thank you, Ray, Kerry, team, for what you've done. Public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now move to our next item, which is going to be a recess. The mind can comprehend only what the end will endure. So we're going to take 10 minutes, and by my light, that means uh, 20, 26, 25, 26, we'll be back here to reconvene.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
now convene this meeting of the Health Service Board. I'd ask the Secretary to call the roll. Thank you, President Scott. Roll calls starting with President Scott. Present. Vice President Howe. Present. Commissioner Breslin. Here. Supervisor Dorsey. Present. And Commissioner Fallensby. Present. With we that, have we have a quorum. quorum. Thank you. Uh, we're now going to pick up our agenda with item number 11. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 11, approval of revisions to the health service system rules and section 125 cafeteria plan 2024. This is an action item and will be presented by SFHSS Chief Operating Officer Ray Guillen. Good afternoon again, Ray Guillen, Chief Operating Officer for HSS. Every year at this time, we review both the health service system rules and cafeteria plan document to determine what changes needed to be made for the upcoming plan year and then bring them to you for approval. First, I will walk you through the substantive changes that we are requesting to be made to the plan rules. And I'll walk through them one at a time. In section A3, we are updating the list of eligible boards and commissions who are able to participate in HSS benefits. We added members of the Homeless Oversight Commission and removed the concourse authority, which will be disbanded later this year. In section B5, we in reinserted this section, which relates to subsidies for surviving dependents, which was deleted sometime after 2011, but is referenced elsewhere in the rules. We believe it was deleted because most of the sentences in this section do appear elsewhere within the rules, but we do believe by having it in, in one consolidated space, it makes it easier for the members to understand. In section B4, we attempt to clarify the application of section 4856 of the California Labor Code, which applies to surviving dependents of safety members who die in the line of duty. We added a new section C5, which states that in compliance with new CMS requirements, we will be asking members, uh, Medicare eligible members, to voluntarily provide their race and ethnicity data. CMS is requesting this data um, to identify disparities in quality of care and target quality improvement interventions to achieve equity. Section D, we're updating language to better clarify the look back period for dependency status of registered domestic partners. And what this is, if uh, someone is registered as a domestic partner and qualified for IRS benefits, then if they terminate that domestic partner anytime during the year, they are disqualified from those IRS benefits for the entire year. And so we're just changing um, the language to better clarify that look back period. Section I is a new section. We added language to outline the opportunities mem members have to enroll in HSS coverage under special enrollment provisions outlined in the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA. Uh, I do need to point out that there is a typographical error in this section of our track changes version of the document. In section I1B regarding special enrollments for new dependents, um, it states that for children being enrolled due to either birth, adoption, foster 
um, child placement or grant of legal guardianship that members must request enrollment within 60 days. This should read 30 days. It is only for coverage changes related to a child's eligibility for premium assistance under the state's medical assistance program or the children's health insurance program that HIPAA requires us to allow a 60-day uh, enrollment window. So again, we do apologize for that typographical error, but for those other um, situations, it should read 30 days. Section F allows for this board. Um, so there's a couple of things in Section F that we are um, um, proposing to change, and this is to grant uh, flexibility in the future should the board wish to either have an open enrollment period that is shorter than three to four weeks, and also to allow for active um, enrollments um, for open enrollment. So currently in the plan rules, the plan rules prescribe for a passive open enrollment, which means that for all benefits except for FSA, if a member does not take any action, that their um, elections from one year will roll over to the next year. Um, an active uh, enrollment would require members to go in and actively make an election for the next plan year. And again, currently we believe that the reason that there is a passive open enrollment prescribed in the member rules is that because there's less administrative burden, two, uh, one, and then um, two, it's easier on the members. However, as we've seen, members do not take an active engagement um, in most cases if they don't have to make a plan change. So in the future, if we introduce a new plan, we would like members to make an active engagement in deciding which plans would be effect most effective for them and their families given the new lineup of plans. And so we do think that this board may want to prescribe an active open enrollment sometime in the future should we add new plans or something of that nature. Again, this would not require an active open enrollment. It just allows this board to designate a future open enrollment period as a active open enrollment that particular plan year. Similarly, currently in the plan rules, um, the rules require a three to four week open enrollment period. And what we see during open enrollment is that there is massive interest at the latter end of open enrollment. So currently, we normally have a four-week open enrollment. Our call volume really spikes those last two weeks. And so it's just human nature that people, if they're given a four-week period, they take uh, almost that four-week period to make a decision. And so we do think that if there's any significant changes in a future plan year, that it might make sense to have multiple shorter open enrollment periods so that we're more effectively to um, divvy those calls up over the open enrollment period that we give to those particular members. So if we do you know, two weeks for active employees or two weeks for retirees, that will better enable us to spread those calls that come in um, more evenly through that total four-week period of time. Um, again, these are just options that the board would have in the future. Again, it's not dictating that we change the length of open enrollment. Um, it just allows for that future flexibility. Can I ask a question? Sure. I, I hear what you're saying about this uh, option. It doesn't mean that the health system is going to change to implement this. 
but if I'm hearing it correctly, number one, these changes wouldn't happen without the board approving it. I mean, there's not something that would be generated entirely within HSS sort of on, on your behalf or something like that. The board would need to understand the rationale for shortening the period. That is the way we uh, wrote the, the rule that it states that it gives the board the flexibility to dictate either a um, active enrollment or shortening that length of open enrollment. Okay, so that clarifies number one, which makes sense. I guess the other two is you talked about when there's a new plan being offered, um, does this allow for then a sort of a short period of open enrollment that members may want to switch plans in the midst of the calendar year? Is that what this is allowing, or just means that there's a new plan option for that person that the next cycle, if this were implemented, they would be required to actively make a, plan, a decision to either stick with the old benefit plan they had or uh, and having reviewed the new one. Is that? That is correct, Commissioner. These are both um, prescribing changes to the open enrollment period. So this assumes that a plan change would be effective for the plan, the beginning of plan year, and an active open enrollment would be declared for the open enrollment preceding that plan year. And so basically, it would require a member to make an election, either re-electing their current plan or changing to a new plan, should that be that member's desire. Okay. Then moving on, um, section M3, we removed. Um, we believe that this language was in place when the city had its own self-funded um, plan, the city plan, and it required members to notify um, HSS if they had secondary insurance outside our system. We do not have um, the method uh, or the need to collect that information, so we are removing that particular section. Uh, before you go on, are there any other questions on uh, the rules changes uh, that have been proposed? None from the board? All right. Please continue. So that concludes the proposed changes to the member rules. Uh, now I'll go on to the cafeteria plan for plan year 2024. In section 4.6, uh, similar to the change in the um, member rules, we are adding a section to notify members of their HIPAA special enrollment rights. In section B3, we are making the necessary changes to update the FSA limits um, for 2024. In section B3, we're also removing a section, so it's section B3A2, uh, which requires um, members hired mid-year um, to only be able to allow a prorated election of the annual, that year's annual maximum. We are, uh, we currently don't administer to that rule, and so if someone is hired on July 1st, they can contribute the full annual maximum to the FSA plan. Um, there is no um, rule that, would, that prohibits, prohibits us from allowing a member to make the full annual um, election, so we are proposing just to remove that particular provision. And then um, in section D4, we're simply updating the flexible credits avail uh, available for certain members of the city and county and superior court. All right, are there any questions on the cafeteria plan document proposed changes? 
if there are none, I'm willing to entertain a motion regarding this item. So I move that we approve the proposed um, policy changes for the um, uh, second cafeteria plan uh, document, plan year 2024, and also for the um, uh, rules, uh, HSS rules for plan year 2024. Is there a second? Second. It's been properly moved and seconded that we approve the proposed policy changes for the uh, health system service, uh, health service system plan rules for plan year 24 and for the cafeteria plan for plan year 24 as described. Are there any questions from board members? Any further questions or clarifications? Hearing then, we'll take public comment. Thank you. Thank you, President Scott. And I'll be reading our fuller instructions for any of those members of the public who joined after the break. In-person public comment will be first, then virtual public comment. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. The Health Service Board will hear up to 30 minutes of remote public comment total for each agenda item. Remote public comment from people who have received an accommodation due to a disability will not count toward the 30-minute limit. Members of the public attending the meeting via phone call in by dialing 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2633-488-8763, and then press pound. You'll be prompted to enter the webinar password, 1145, then press pound. Press star three to be added to the public comment queue and you'll hear the, hear the prompt, you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. You will be muted when your time is expired. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the queue to speak. A raised hand icon will appear next to your name. When, the unmute, when you're unmuted in the system, a request to unmute will appear on your screen. Please select the unmute to speak. Once you hear myself say welcome caller, you can begin speaking. When your time has expired, you'll be muted. Please click on the raise hand icon to lower your hand. Members of the public are encouraged to state their name clearly, although they may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining, and when your three minutes have ended, I'll say thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and I'll unmute the next caller. We'll look to our moderator to see if there are any callers in the public comment queue for agenda item number 11. Board Secretary, there are two callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now have a roll call vote. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commit Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. And Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. The motion carries unanimously. We'll now move to item 12, which is identified as board education. <coughs> it's not only education for the board, but also for members of the public. We've been on a little bit of an odyssey since last year to provide uh, background information on a variety of topics which will be discussed during this presentation. And we hope that this will provide context to not only the workings of the board, the issues that are present in the marketplace and other forces that are out there shaping healthcare policy. So with that, 
we good? All right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, good afternoon, Ann Thompson with Aon. Uh, today we decided to let our lead actuary off um, on a little break from presenting <laughs> from you uh, at the rates and benefits. So I'm very glad to be here uh, speaking with you today. So as uh, President Scott mentioned, this is part of our board education series, um, one of which we had last month, and we will have two additional in November and December. So today's focus really is the market and health system innovation review. I could spend all day talking about this. I will not make you sit here all day to speak about this. And we'll try to give you some of the highlights, um, definitely some kudos to SFHSS, the board, and the work that you've done to date. Um, and uh, then we'll end with looking ahead at those future modules. So looking at um, the four-part series, last month you heard from Lead Actuary Mike Clark with Aon and CFO Hussein about the holistic health system overview and outline. Today we're looking at the market and health system innovation. November will be benefit design benchmarking and December will be future state opportunities. So before I dive into the slides, let me uh, do a little bit of um, stage setting here. So we've historically had some predictable truths uh, when we were looking at healthcare costs and renewals and benefits um, that we could really anchor our work on and our decisions. Uh, we've had steady GDP growth, we've had steady business growth in a stable workforce, and organizations could generally absorb some of the healthcare cost increases that were coming their way. Today, we're in the midst of a significant pivot. We're in a new environment, healthcare costs have a more pronounced impact, and it's creating significant cost pressures on organizations and members. There are many forces at play here. We're going to speak a little bit about five of these. Um, and so you can see that uh, the five here, not numbered in any sort of priority, um, but just for ease of uh, speaking through the slides today. And um, the first one being that employee expectations have expanded. Uh, this is natural um, as the workforce becomes more diverse. Um, work models are evolving in terms of in-person and hybrid work. And the expectations coming out of the pandemic employers, uh, the expectation is employers are really supporting employees with their entire life experience and not just their work life experience. Individual health and well-being has declined and supporting mental health and emotional well-being has been a key focus area for many employers as well as uh, the Health Service Board and SFHSS. We've seen a spotlight um, shining on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion and within that health equity. Uh, and so we're show, seeing a decline in employee well-being um, overall, but as well as in communities of um, people of color and other dimensions within that make the characteristics of us as individuals. Cost pressures for healthcare benefits has been mounting. Uh, we've seen cost shifting um, be one way to manage this in the past, um, but we've reached a point where affordability concerns are, um, are real. Uh, but there's a sliver of hope, and so that's the market innovation that is accelerating. Uh, we have new solutions from startups as well as mature market players that are really focusing on impactable problems. So that is the introduction to the five forces we'll speak to today. Could you pause there for a moment? Of course. Yes, Commissioner. I just Collins, had one please. question about the data, uh, which is quite interesting, but uh, I'm sorry, was it a, a broad survey of all kinds of employer groups, public, private? for-profit, non-profits, all this kind of thing. So uh, I don't know what the denominator was. Uh, yes, for the statistics on uh, slide five? 
for all this, yeah. Yeah. So there's, these are from uh, a variety of resources uh, that are in very tiny print here at the bottom. Um, but, you know, MetLife survey, uh, Commonwealth, uh, Deloitte CEO survey. So these are significant and sizable surveys that we are referencing. I don't have the specific denominators for you. No, but it's okay. Um, since we have a particular population, we're, we're obviously interested as well in government employees, you know. Correct. As, as well in terms of what our own needs are. Absolutely. And I, I don't believe we do these kind of uh, surveys ourselves. Correct. So these, these are um, broad-based, national, multiple types and industries, employers, um, just to kind of give that broad sweep. Uh, I find interesting and under one uh, that 52 percent of employees would change jobs for better benefits. There used to be a leading indicator that it was money that would cause people to change jobs. And uh, that has changed over the past decade or two, that it's really benefits driven more so than money. And also bad supervision seems to be a driver of job change. But We'll not yes. talk about that today. <laughs> Thank you. Um, on page six, um, we'll dive a little bit into each of these because uh, I don't want to just leave you out there with um, challenges and no solutions. So um, on this page, again, this is not SFHSS specific. This is a broad-based kind of look at um, what employers are doing out in the world um, to address different each of these different dimensions. And so um, we wanted to just note a few actions under each of these in terms of prevalent and emerging and uh, note that SFHSS has done a lot of work within all of these categories around mental health and well-being, um, the strategic planning process, reducing stigma through the Mental Health Forum and the work that comes out of that, family forming, high performance networks, and employee and member navigation. So let's dive in to the first one, which is the employee experience. Uh, we've picked uh, navigation to kind of highlight here today, recognizing that there are a lot of other pieces that go into the employee experience. Um, and it's really creating personalized experiences to drive the right care at the right time at the right place with a focus on high quality. So we noted earlier, you know, the workforce is shifting and that we are having a competition for talent. Um, and healthcare coverage is becoming more and more a big component of that contract that employees have with their employers. And navigation is one technique uh, that's used to engage and support um, members and employees in creating that personalized experience. So part of this is a reflection um, of coming out of the era of consumerism, where there was a focus on high deductible health plans and putting individuals uh, in the seat as consumers, like you would go on Amazon and buy something to, to buy healthcare. Um, we've seen a little bit, we're starting to see a little bit of shift out of that mentality into the adoption of high touch navigation and advocacy. And we've also seen, thanks to the pandemic, an increased acceptance and use of digital tools. Uh, so we're at a tipping point of efficient use of these types of digital tools. Um, examples of this approach within your population would be Shield Concierge, um, and the accolade overlay on the PPO plan, just to name a couple. I, I think this is really brilliant. I mean, I really think this is, this is almost key, um, that if, if consumers can't navigate their system, then why does the system exist? And I just, I, I'm sorry, you know, apologies to Kaiser, I come back to look to find out if I could get the, you know, the flu vaccine. And I went online to the website, and around and around, once I was able to find that yes, 
um, I could walk into the vaccine center. I couldn't find it again to find out what the hours were. And so when I finally just went, I realized I found out they were closed between 12.30 and 1.30 for lunch. Um, which gave me an opportunity to shop, but uh, that wasn't what I was there for. And so this is so simple. And of course, there was nothing, there was a lot about COVID, but nothing about RSV again. And so navigation can, it needs to be proactive uh, in terms of all, all these issues, whether it's complex or simple. And without this, you know, then what are we doing, is frankly? So thank you very much for this slide. You're welcome. Thank you for those comments. Um, as we uh, go into the next slide, I'm um, talking about mental health and well-being. Uh, so we are seeing uh, trends led by digital solutions uh, to support access and outcomes around mental health. Uh, so we discussed, um, for those of you who are at the Mental Health Forum, the continuum, continuum of emotional well-being, um, that mental health is health and we can be well and we can be unwell or somewhere in between. And so with that, we also see a continuum of care for emotional well-being. Uh, and that's what the four categories on this slide are, are speaking to. So online self-directed care, um, such as Calm and other meditation tools, um, EAP and work life, um, SFHSS has their uh, on-site EAP as well as 24-7 EAP. Um, E-therapy tools, uh, such as Ginger, is available through some of the health plan partnerships. And then blended care, of course, with in-person and, and virtual um, care and treatment uh, via network providers um, in the health plans. In terms of health equity, uh, part of um, understanding or thinking about health equity is acknowledging the member journey. Um, so there are various points within the health within the healthcare ecosystem that we need to uh, consider health equity, and this slide is uh, looking to show that all the various touch points where health equity should be considered. On the next page, I'll give you a couple of examples. So, understanding the current challenges is really um, part of informing the future. So we must uh, uh, understand that there are many dimensions and intersections of dimensions to be considered. Uh, for example, LGBTQIA plus uh, members have greater need for mental health care, um, and so an opportunity is LGBTQIA plus focused mental health vendors or providers and um, getting those two together. Uh, for race and ethnicity, we see gaps in health status um, by race and ethnicity that varies, uh, so influencing vendor partners to evaluate uh, equity in terms of their clinical guidelines, uh, care management programs um, is critical to the future. In terms of age, uh, focus on family building has been significant over the years and is, has been building. Um, and we are seeing, um, looking forward, uh, tailoring uh, benefits towards specific health-based issues based on age and needs, such as uh, menopause. Uh, we're seeing a very large uh, growing um, uh, space of vendors looking to address menopause. In terms of affordability um, and access to care, uh, we've seen those pressures um, come to us through our rates and benefits cycle, um, and it's really looking to uh, get us to think differently. Uh, so in terms of pharmacy, looking at biosimilars uh, as a specialty approach to provide high quality medications at a lower cost. Uh, through mental health, it's the EAP and digital support tools. Chronic care, uh, perhaps low or no cost maintenance medications and care navigation. 
and um, back on primary care. Uh, it's virtual primary care or hybrid with virtual in-person and population-focused um, access. In terms of market innovation, um, I love this slide. It's, um, I call it logo soup. Uh, so virtual care vendors um, are looking to compete directly with health systems. Um, and so we've seen a lot of activity within this space. We've seen vendors come and we've seen vendors go. Um, but they've planted the seeds uh, for new innovation. Um, you know, we've seen Amazon get into this space, um, and you may be familiar with the Amazon partnership with Mark Cuban's uh, Cost Plus Drug Company, which I'll note in a couple slides. Um, but this slide shows the other ways that the virtual eco care ecosystem is expanding and continues to morph as new vendors and point solutions enter. Um, we also see uh, traditional carriers getting into the space either uh, through building in-house uh, tools and resources or partnering with these vendors. In terms of uh, uh, integration, march to integration of systems, so rising costs um, are creating uh, growing competition um, and, call and consolidation. So as we see rapid growth in the virtual and hybrid care, we see health systems move towards consolidation to compete and address the rising cost of the health workforce. The current state of market consolidation generally focuses on market power, um, but limited data, there's limited data to show quality improvements, and we don't often see the negotiations of lower prices being passed on to individuals or plan sponsors. The ideal future state would really focus on advanced primary care as a foundation uh, to drive care to high quality providers at the optimal place of service and integrating uh, support and coordination for those with chronic and complex care needs. So in addition to that, navigation, advocacy, and data interoperability will become key to the success of this model. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about pharmacy. <laughs> Um, so in terms of vertical integration, we've seen significant consolidation to the point where 80% of prescription volume is within uh, the three largest PBMs. And this has reinvigorated the debate around carve-in and carve-out pharmacy. We've seen new entrants and new partnerships that are challenging traditional players. As I mentioned earlier, the Amazon Mark Cuban cost plus drug company combination. Focusing on the future, we'll see, continue to see more biosimilars come <coughs> to market with a biosimilar first um, model to continue to provide high quality, low cost. And of course, uh, the Biden administration just released its top 10 drugs, top 10 drug list, uh, which is that CMS will be direct contracting and negotiating 10 drugs um, which is a new, um, new uh, concept for them. Um, and I just wanted to note that while that list of 10 drugs has come out, uh, the pricing will not be effective until 2026. Um, it's expected that this will um, address the 10, top 10 drugs represent 3.4 billion paid and out-of-pocket expenses for individuals, which is 900 or 9 million Americans. There'll be additional drugs that they can add to the list for uh, subsequent subsequent years. Can you pause for a moment and identify so, the uh, three largest pharmacy benefit managers? <coughs> All right, someone's going to have to keep me honest. <laughs> uh, I, that's not, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but. So Express Scripts, CVS. CVS, Express Scripts. Pardon? Express Scripts, CVS, and Optum. And, and Optimum? Optum. Okay. Optum. Okay. Yes, which is part of Unite Health Group. Okay, thank you. 
In terms of SFHSS uh, with their strategic plan, uh, the one we had and the one that we just built, um, a lot of activity has been um, happening around innovation, so I do want to give some kudos to the team for that. Um, you've been a leader in consideration and adoption of many of the concepts that we just spoke about. Um, on this slide, I've outlined some of, just some of the initiatives that SFHS has, has taken and will continue to bring ideas to SFHSS and the Health Service Board. So with that, I will thank you for your time today and we will see you in November on the other two items and I will welcome uh, questions or comments. And thank you for this presentation. I think it is very succinctly put a large uh, amount of information yes. into one vehicle. When you talk about innervation, people say, well, what is that? And you've come at it in a variety of ways here in terms of the descriptors and laying out some very cogent information. So thank you for your work on this. Are there questions from the board members on any of the topics at this point? beyond the interjections that we made during your presentation, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, again, it was an excellent overview. I mean, the bottom line, this is really big business and getting bigger. And so when you look at all this, you know, you can see people jockeying for, to getting bigger business um, because the, the amount of dollars is just staggering and what we pay and what we get from all of this innovation, quote unquote, is pretty amazing. Uh, I know that the data just came out that the, um, I guess, cost per member for Medicare patients remained pretty stable over the last 10 years, which is actually sort of a surprise, I think, to lots of people and something that is actually a positive for a lot of the competition. And competition remains the name of the game. And so I don't think anyone would complain about decrease of services in Medicare over those 10 years, but the cost has remained pretty stable adjusted for dollars and all that. And I think that the, the systems can work, but this is, uh, this is, uh, sometimes I feel like we're just you know, sort of a, a drop of water in a big ocean uh, in terms of our own way we can cope with all this. Other questions, comments from the board? If not, we will take public comment on this item at this time. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. Our moderator will let us, we'll move to our remote public comment and our moderator will let us know if there are any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are two callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. All right, thank you. We'll now move to item 13. We've had a number of interjections, welcomed interjections from plan representatives throughout the meeting, but if there's something specific that you wanted to bring to the attention of the board and, and the public, we call on you at this time. There was an admission in one of the, uh, in the presentation about Kaiser's urgent care center as being another opportunity for people to get direct services uh, as a new part of uh, the delivery of service by that health plan. 
but that's in the presentation. It was just overlooked. We didn't say it at the time, but I wanted to call that out. I do think for all the vendors, it'd be interesting to, for us to see a map of how, you know, where, where the contracts are, you know, with in-person um, healthcare uh, for urgent care. Um, because this, you know, we're all concerned about the um, high utilization of emergency rooms for essentially non, really emergency room care. And so I know that, you know, all the health plans sort of deal with this in terms of how they get their contracted medical groups to provide urgent care, you know, on holidays, weekends, after hours. So many of them are developing contracts with some of these sort of freestanding systems, whether it's pharmacy-based or one medical or whatever. It might be kind of interesting to sort of hear from plans uh, about this and, you know, how you're struggling and what, what is being done to get the right care in the right place at the right time, uh, particularly after hours and for children uh, in particular um, after hours, I think it, it across the board. Okay, thank you. Other comments from board members? No comments from... Uh, Yes, yeah, Executive uh, Director Yan. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to ask Kaiser to make a comment on the uh, SCIU situation that's gotten some play in the press, not to put you in the hot seat, but our board should know before they come back in November that there'll probably be more in the press about SCIU because they're putting on together quite a campaign. So could you comment, please? <clears throat> Good afternoon, Denise Rodriguez with Kaiser Permanente. So uh, talks have continued to occur in negotiations. We just had our seventh session, so we've had six and now seven sessions. Um, and that was held here in San Francisco, September 6th through the 8th. There were some new proposals made. I think this is standard negotiation. We certainly support this bargaining process and are committed to finding some resolution before the contract ends at the end of the end of the month. So. Um, other than that, another place to get regular updates is uh, www.kp.org backslash labor. Up to the minute updates on what's happening in the negotiations. Is there anything else, Executive Abby? Yeah, yes, that could you'd you like tell, me to address? Uh, just clarify what employee population uh, these negotiations are affecting? Yeah, great question. It's actually our coalition of unions that are represented through this, and it's a variety of unions. I'm going to follow up and give you an actual list that lists them all out because there's several, and I don't right. want to misstate it. All right, thank and you. And I'll send that to you, uh, Executive Director. Uh, thanks, Denise. And you know, I just want to give it in context. I think there is we are in a period of time where labor unions in many different sectors are. Um, feeling the need to be loud in, in their request, uh, you know, the, the auto workers as an example. Um, and so I do expect that we will hear um, quite a bit about this particular negotiations as well as others. I just want the board to uh, realize the, the point that we're at. The city uh, of San Francisco is going into negotiations with the bulk of their labor union starting in January. Um, so, that, you know, I'm sure um, whatever Kaiser settles on will impact that as well, and hopefully you're settled by then. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we, there's, there's just a lot going on. So I want you to know that we're aware and we're following it. The plans are keeping us informed. And um, Thank you for you that. Thank you sure. for your uh, update. Hopefully when I come back in October, well, the next meeting in November. November, November, it'll all be settled. There you go. <laughs> that is our hope as there well. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Uh, with that,
there is um, public comment because we've had public we've had comment on this item by myself and others. So we'll have public comment on this item, item 13. Thank you, President Scott. Uh, public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are two callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. And with that, this meeting of the board is adjourned. <laughs>